I have, um, I have battled to write this for you all weekend, really for months. And God has something so wonderful to say to you guys this morning. I just want to encourage you. I want to exhort you. Listen. Be undistracted. Don't be a distraction. There is not one person in this room that these words are not specifically and personally for. The sermon that God has given me today to share with you is built around a song that I love called Johnny Boy. There's a lot of speculation about this song. Who is this Johnny Boy? Why did he fall down and did he ever get up? Before we listen to this song, I want to define Johnny Boy as is seen in the Urban Dictionary. Johnny Boy, a god among men, someone who sacrifices themselves so that the other people who committed a crime, they don't get in trouble. Does that sound like anybody we know? Does that sound an awful lot like Jesus Christ? As you listen to this song, I want you to imagine your Savior and mine, Jesus, and I want you to pay close attention to these lyrics and receive them and prepare your hearts for what God has to say to you about them in Scripture. Check this out. home from work this time he never really told his wife he never really told a lie and this time he decides that it's all right it's all right no one really knows his mind and no one knows behind his eyes the man deserves a medal but he's never really won a prize before he goes to lock the door Oh, we blame it on the times. 
dissect this song and see if there's any scripture, any of God's word that supports these lyrics, that's driving these lyrics. Let's see if there's any good news in this 21 Pilots song. This song begins with this long stanza, this story of a man who stays home from work, and he's never really told his wife, he's never really told a lie, but this time, this one time, he decides it's all right. And no one really knows his mind, and no one knows what's going on behind his eyes. This man deserves a medal, but he's never won a prize before. And then he goes to lock the door. His song begins with this description of this honest, humble man that's looked over, that's not really thought much of, and he has responsibilities. He's got a job. He has a bride. But on this one particular day, this song tells us of this man and how he chooses to maybe keep a secret from his bride, or more specifically, maybe he does something she doesn't expect. And rather than feel bad about his bride's confusion, he goes so far as to punctuate it by locking the door behind him and saying, this has to happen, I have to do this. If Jesus Christ is Johnny Boy. Was Jesus a good and honest and humble man? Was he looked over? Isaiah 53, 9, the Lord's servant never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Yes, yes he was. Did Jesus have a job? 1 Timothy 1, 15, this is a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's his job. That's why he came. Absolutely, he was employed. Did Jesus have a wife? Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, demonstrate love for your wives with the same tender devotion that Christ demonstrated for us, his bride. We are the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. He is like our husband. We are like his bride. And he loves us so much as to lay his life down for us. Was Jesus misunderstood? 
Yeah, he was. Isaiah 55, 9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. I do not go about things as you do. Totally misunderstood. That day that he died, his disciples had no idea what was going on. This opening stanza, this whole little beginning story reminds me of a specific moment in Jesus' life. The day Jesus laid down his life for us. This good man who had done no wrong, who laid down his life and then was locked in a tomb. You know the story. Someone said, away you go. And someone said to you, goodbye. And they deflect the disrespect when they say that they blame it. They blame that decision. They blame that action on the times. Matthew 27, 22 through 26. The Roman governor Pontius Pilate spoke to the mob who had brought him Jesus. What should I do with this Jesus, the one called the Messiah, the Savior? And the mob shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob, they roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that unless he wanted a riot on his hands, he had to bow to their wishes. So he sent for a bowl of water, and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released the criminal Barabbas, and he ordered Jesus to be whipped and crucified. Pontius Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew the mob was guilty. Pontius Pilate knew the right thing to do was release him. He knew what the right thing to do was, but he chose to do nothing. He chose to do nothing when the right thing was right in front of him, which is the same as doing wrong. Pilate looked truth in the eye and rejected him. And he blamed that decision on peer pressure. He blamed that decision on popular opinion. He blamed that decision on the times. I am so proud of all of you all year, especially this weekend. You have been looking truth in the eye. You've been receiving him, and you've been obeying him, and you've been experiencing the blessings that come when we do that. And you have loved God well this weekend, students. And you have loved each other well, and others well. You have been serving your community well this week. You have prayed for strangers. You have been light in the darkness this weekend. But in just a little while, we have to leave here and we have to go back out into the world. We have to go back out amongst the mob. I have told you before and I will tell you again, it is not getting any easier to be a Christian in this world, in this culture. We are living in an age 
when it is everywhere tempting to reject Jesus, to reject his teaching, to know the right thing to do, to know the right thing to say, to know I should pray for this person right now and do nothing. But we know that story, too. We know that that is true, too. We know our generation is doing exactly what God said that we would do, blaming our rebellion on the times. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 3 through 4, a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. Instead, they will live only for their desires. They will scratch their itching ears by surrounding themselves with people who approve of their lifestyles, who only tell them what they want to hear, and they will reject the truth that you have to offer them because they prefer the sound of fables and fantasies. Is that not the age that we're living in? We are obeying, I am obeying, too many times, too many days, temporary emotions to direct my actions. I am obeying obsession with comfort. I am obeying a fixation with fantasy and false reality. It has become more important to us. It takes more of our time than obeying God. And it begs the question, why? Why is our generation struggling so much? Why is our generation struggling more than others? Why is this so rampant in our day and age? What's fueling the false reality that is stealing and robbing and killing and destroying our lives and our friendships and our ability to just know, I'm not that bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm not invisible. I'm not small. I'm not garbage. I shouldn't take my life. What's destroying us and driving us to believe those things and those lies? As we worshiped together Friday night in this room, we asked that question. What's my problem, we asked. What's my excuse? What's my sin? And you guys were so faithful to ask that question, to look truth in the eye, and to come up here and lay it down. But as we were asking that question for ourselves, Andy Zabo was up here painting. And he was painting this picture where he was asking the same question, what's our problem? And he painted this image. By faith. God leading his hand. This image of this demon with these itchy little ears vomiting distraction on us. Vomiting the information age all over us. I have a question for you. I have a question for me. It's personal. It will bother you. It has bothered me. How many hours a day on your device? If you want to find out, you can do what I did yesterday. Open it up, go to settings, look at screen time, and it will tell you. And I did that, and I was embarrassed. I don't even feel like I should talk about it. MIT published a study, 10 hours a day is the average 
that an American spends on their phone. That's just their phone. What about computers? What about televisions? I looked up my average. I'm pushing eight hours a day on my phone. Just my phone. Eight hours pursuing time in games, entertainment, social networking, fantasy, false reality, time I should be spending, time I could be spending with Jesus, with my wife, with my kids, with you. And I'm just like this, checked out, not present, missing opportunities to live my life. That's not device use, 10 hours, 8 hours. The statistics are there, you guys. It's more for your age. That's not device use. That's device abuse. Technology isn't evil, but anything we abuse is. Anything we put in front of us for so long that we can't even see or think of God and truth is nothing but idolatry. Psalm 135, 15 through 18, the idols of the nations are merely things of silver and gold. They're shaped by human hands and they have mouths. They can't speak. They have ears. They can't hear. They have mouths but cannot breathe. And those who make them and those who trust them will become like them. What happens to people who worship idols? Whether it's a device or anything else, a relationship you know you shouldn't be in, pornography, drugs, alcohol. What happens to people who worship idols, who look for their value and their worth in something not God? They lose the ability to hear truth, to see truth, to speak truth. They become lifeless, checked out, benched. Question for you, between you and the Lord. Have you been feeling lifeless? Did you come in here Friday night feeling empty, invisible, like you don't matter, like everyone else's life is better? Follow-up question. How much of that is coming at you? How much of that is coming at you as you are on your device? as you are looking at social media. How much of that depression and insecurity and comparison is washing over your mind as you spend time on your device? I'll tell you, that's where most of mine comes from. I feel led to challenge us this morning, real quick, between you and the Lord, I feel led to challenge this student ministry after living a weekend, 36 hours of real life, what would it look like for you? What would it look like for me to fast from our devices for a month? To lay down social media for a month or gaming for a month or television shows that are rotten your brain and teaching you the wrong things about relationships 
or whatever it is that is your idol. And we're all human and we're all broken, so we all have something. What would it look like to fast, to set it down, to focus on the Lord for just a month? Just to see if life is better, richer, fuller without that thing. I want you to bow your heads and ask the Lord, would you have me fast for a month from what? And as you hear him, as you sense him, if your phone is just in your mind, if that habit is blowing up, write it down, acknowledge it, own it. talk more about that in the weeks to come but if you felt convicted and you own something well done well done well done so many in our generation so many in this room from time to time they don't want to listen to these truths the bible backs it up science backs it up they don't want to listen to these truths they're not even able to hear these truths because we just want to be like everybody else we have been raised not to rock the boat. But I need to remind us that that does not excuse us from sharing the truth, from sharing that we know there is better life available, there is rescue available, there is healing for the broken. There's a way to get out from underneath this accusing voice that is giving us all kinds of excuses to stay in a little box. And that reminder comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4. My child, would you, would you listen to these words like God's speaking directly to you right now? My child, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Here's what I charge you. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not, whether it's convenient or not, whether you think they're going to receive it or not, patiently correct, warn, encourage your people with good teaching, truth. You must stay focused. You must be alert at all times. Tolerate suffering. Be willing to tolerate some discomfort for your people. Accomplish the good work of an evangelist. Complete the ministry to which every single one of us has been called. We all know you're qualified, Johnny Boy, to fix a chair and love your wife. They all know you're qualified, but they lie when they blame it on the times. The world's always been okay with the idea of Jesus Christ as a carpenter. Many of us are okay with this little idea of Jesus and church being somewhere we can come to just feel a little better about our lives for a minute. But the, Jesus didn't come to earth to make chairs or to make us feel good about ourselves. Jesus came to earth to save 
sinners. Jesus came to earth to rescue broken people, to be a light in the darkness. And he was willing to pay the ultimate price to do that, to say that, to share that with us. He has fallen in love. He knows it's enough. The world looks down at him and frowns. It's not he has been falling in love because he loved us before he got here. He has fallen in love. It's my favorite line of this song, this beautiful play on words. Jesus Christ has fallen. He died because he loves us. He gave his life because he loves us and he knows that it was enough. Isaiah 53. The servant of the Lord, that's Jesus, he grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot. He was a man of sorrows. He knew pain firsthand, just like many of you this weekend. But the fact is, it was our weakness that he carried. It was our pain. It was all the things wrong with us. It was our failures that ripped and tore and crushed him. It was our sins. And still, he stepped in and he took the beating that made us whole. And by his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who have wandered away and gotten lost. We've all, we've all done our own thing and gone our own way. Yet, God piled all of our sins, all that mess, all the devil's accusation, all of our excuses, everything that we've ever done wrong, he piled it onto his son, Jesus, because he knew that we couldn't bear it. He was beaten, he was tortured, and he never said a word. Led like a lamb to slaughter, like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. And he died without a thought for his own welfare. Beaten to smithereens for the sins of those he loved. Even though he had never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. And the beautiful thing is, that's exactly what God had in mind all along to crush this good man with pain. For Jesus was always going to step in as an offering for our sin so that we would see life come from his sacrifice. Life, life, and more life. And as a result of the trials and the troubles that racked his soul that day, God's servant will see light and he will be content because he knows he understands what it's all about as God said my just servant will justify countless others by taking on their punishment and bearing it away as far as the east is from the west because he exposed his very self he laid bare his soul to the vicious grasping of death, and he was counted among the worst, but God has counted him among the 
best. And so God has given his servant, his son, a share in all that is of any lasting value. For the servant took onto his own shoulders the sins of the many and acted on behalf of those who have broken the law. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ. While we were doing our worst thing, a question from, Saturday, from Friday night. Maybe God wants you to confess the worst thing you've ever done. In that moment when you were doing your worst thing, when I had done my worst thing, even then God said, save him, Jesus. That one right now. Jesus Christ, the ultimate Johnny boy, took the fall, paid the price, and died for you and for me. But wonderfully, that's not the end of the story. It sounds like it would be enough, but there's more. Acts chapter 2, 32 through 38. Can't you see it? God has resurrected Jesus. And we are all witnesses to this fact. And then God exalted him to his right hand upon the throne of highest honor. The Father gave him the authority to send the promised Holy Spirit, which is being poured out upon us here today. This is what you've been seeing and hearing this weekend, students. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you, whom we crucified, to be both Lord and Savior. Peter's words, as he spoke them, pierced people's hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, because they recognized it was true, brothers, what should we do? How can we write this? And Peter replied, each of you must change the way you think about your life, about the Lord, about this book, about the truth. Abandon your sins, your behaviors that led you here, and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to have your sins removed. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter went on in this vein for a long time, urging them over and over, get out while you can. Escape the sickness of this crooked generation. Jesus died, laid down his life, took the fall for us, but he got back up for you and for me and for all of us. And this weekend, you and I and all of us have been witnesses to that fact as we have confessed our sins and received forgiveness, as we have laid down lies and picked up truth as we have been worshiping the king and have been feeling the reality of his presence and his smile and his love. A challenge that is before us now today is what will we do to remember this, to keep it in front of us, to tattoo this truth on our hearts and in our soul. Our teaching verse this weekend, Isaiah Chapter 49, my first tattoo, the first verse God used for a whole year to 
reshape me, to change the way that I think about who he is and who he made me to be, that you have now adopted as well. This awesome chapter in the Old Testament, my favorite verse in it, I'll read to you now. Sing for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people, and he will have compassion on them in their suffering. But Jerusalem says, no, no, the Lord's deserted us, and the Lord has forgotten us. And you might feel that way in a day or two, or next month. The Lord has deserted me. He's forgotten me. I was here, and now I'm here, and now I'm done. And do you know what God has to say to you before that might even happen? I pray it doesn't. The Lord responds, never, never, son, never, daughter, can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would never forget you. Never. And do you want to know why? Look, I have made you part of me. I have written your names on the palms of my hands. Look at this picture Jack Sharp took earlier this week of some hands. And every single one of your names are written on them. Every single leader, every single student that has participated in this weekend, your names are on those hands. And this is a poor representation of what Jesus' hands look like as he carries all of our shame and all of our names all day, every day, from before we were born until the day we die and beyond. He is carrying us. He can't forget us. We're tattooed on his palms. He can't do anything without seeing us and loving us and remembering this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. This one's mine. Jesus will never forget you. He can't. So please, don't forget him. Don't forget what he's done for you. Don't forget how he laid down his life for you. Get up, Johnny boy. Get up, because the world has left you lying on the ground. You're my pride and joy. Get up, Johnny boy, because we all need you right now. Something I love about this chorus. This could be read on behalf of Jesus, right? The ultimate Johnny boy. Get up, buddy. We need you. You died. Come back. But hasn't he already done that? We just saw it. We know he has. He's resurrected. He's at the king's right hand. So who's being exhorted to get up here? Maybe there's another Johnny boy that this song is meant to encourage. Maybe the next time you sing this, and you reflect on these words, you'll find that it's not, it's not just reminding us that Jesus stood up for broken people. It's that we need to stand up for broken people. It's that we've been rescued and we have rescue to share. That we can't just receive and lay down. But we need to get up 
and go out and make a difference for the one who made the ultimate difference for us. Maybe as we learn to do so. A group of boys went to the mall yesterday to pray for strangers, and they just got shut down, left, right, and center. People just like, freaks, what do you want? What, you want some money? Just go away. And they were nervous, and it was awkward, and it made it uncomfortable. Did they quit? No. The more they pressed in, and the more they said, you know what? What's the worst that could happen? They say, no. Let's keep trying. Let's keep pressing in. And people started to say, yes, you can pray for me. A man was approached by a young lady in our student ministry yesterday at the mall, appropriately named Jesus. And she just walked up to him alone and said, if there was one thing that I could pray for you today, what would it be? And this man was blown away. This tiny kid, how can I pray for you today? And he just said, as he choked up, pray for my marriage. And she wept at hearing that. And he wept with her. And they prayed. Amen. She was willing to get up and go into an uncomfortable situation and share some truth and be a light. And I bet you cash money that that man is thinking about that moment yesterday right now. Can you imagine how much that rocked him that this young lady would come up in the name of Jesus Christ and say, can I bless you? Can I bring you into the throne of the king and ask for some favor, ask for some blessings, ask for some change? Students, maybe as we learn to get up for the Lord, to stand up for what's right, to not just see the right thing, but to go and do it, maybe all that emptiness and disappointment and depression that we carried in here on Friday, maybe it'll be a little slower to take root next time. Maybe God will replace it with something else. Luke chapter 3, 21 through 22. One day Jesus came to be baptized along with everybody else. And he allowed himself to be consumed with the spirit of prayer. And the heavenly realm ripped open above him. And the Holy Spirit descended from heaven in the form of a dove and landed on him. And then God's voice was heard saying, God's verse, this word can be heard over you today saying, you are my child. You are the pride of my life, and I take great joy in you. You students, you leaders, you are the pride and joy of your father. You are the pride and joy of your Savior and your Lord. There is no other identity for you. You're his pride and you're his joy every day, all day. You cannot change that. Thank God for that. Romans 10 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. There are some in this room that are still on the fence. There are some in this room that need to 
make this decision. If we are willing to stand up for Jesus, if we are willing to love people for Jesus as we live here, these words will begin to define us. We are his pride. We are his joy. It will replace the garbage we're listening to. If you need that, if you want that, if you've never received Jesus as your personal Savior, the Bible says if you just will openly declare that he's Lord, if you will just believe in your heart, just a little willingness that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. It is that easy, students. It is that easy, friends. Openly declare, I need rescue. I want rescue. I'm tired of this perverse culture and garbage and emptiness. I'm willing to try something new. Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I believe God raised you from the dead. You're saved. It's not a private, quiet decision in the seclusion of your chair. If you make it, you got to say it. And it's done. And it's done forever. Forever. Throughout this song and throughout this scripture, baptism is a profound and powerful way to get up for Christ. To be buried in death. To be raised to new life. I want you all to take a moment between you and the Lord. Bow your heads. Ask Jesus now. How would you have me declare my faith today? Some of you might be seeing someone's face that you need to forgive just because it's what Jesus says is right. Some of you have had giftings stirred in you this week, written poems, written songs. You might need to step out in faith and share that this week. Some of you have some stories to tell. You need to tell those this week. Some of you know, not for show, for Jesus, today is the day that you get baptized. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Solidify your place in the kingdom of God. Know forever you are his pride. You are his joy. Jesus, may every one of us know a thing, a way to publicly declare our faith today. Give us the boldness to go out and do it. Amen. We're going to close this sermon with a visual of what God has been saying to us, doing for us, and preparing us for. Check this out. Who has claim? No one has claim. All have claim. That is blasphemy. Be quiet. We defend this city, not to protect these stones, but the people living within these walls. My lord! My lord! 
Well done. How are we to defend Jerusalem without knights? We have no knights! Truly. What is your condition? I'm servant of the Patriarch. Tell you, sir. One of my servants. Is he? You were born a servant. Neil. Every man at arms, or capable of bearing them. Neil! On your knees! Be without fear in the face of your enemies. Be brave and upright that God may love thee. Speak the truth, even if it leads to your death. Safeguard the helpless. That is your oath. And that is so you remember it. Rise a night! Rise a night! Who do you think you are? You alter the world. Just making a man a knight, make him a better fighter. Yes. I love that grouchy little man. I love that question. Does making a man, does making a woman a knight, does it make them a better fighter? What do you guys think? Does standing up for truth, standing up for others, does standing up for Jesus make us better people? Does it declare to the world that we are his pride and joy? Yes. Friends, we are without excuse. God has chosen us. God is with us. And God has declared every single one of us light to the world. So, let's rise. Let's shine. Let's get up. And let's change the world. Come worship with me.